This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Muanina people, and the sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. We pay our respects to elders, past and present. Hello, and welcome to our podcast called Two Tassie Teachers Talking. I'm Adam James, and with me is James McLeod. Today, we pick up our interview with Chris Ray. Having spoken about the start of his career last episode, this time we begin by talking to Chris about his start as a teacher at Hutchins. Uh, so, Chris, when you, you came, you would have been involved um, through your football connections, given that that was maybe a conversation via the football coach yeah. uh, to get your job here. Did you jump straight into the co-curricular program at Hutchins? Uh, yes, I did. In the middle school, uh, John Millington was the head of middle school, and I would like to add uh, his deputy was George McKay, after whom the McKay staff room on the campus is named. Uh, they were both very good to me, and George in particular taught me to be a teacher. Yeah, right. And um, he did it in such a subtle way. <laughs> uh, I, without me knowing in the early days, he'd walk past the classroom and he'd observe something and he'd tuck it away and after school or sometime when no one else was around, he'd say, son, come here, out today. And he'd tell me about what he had observed and how I had handled it. And he said, uh, I'm not telling you, son, but such and such is one way you could have that's a bit different. Or you could have done it this way, blah, blah, blah. In addition to the way you chose to do. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'd like you to just think about it. Yeah. He was that non-threatening. Yeah, well. And uh, I... I I valued him and uh, if if I've learnt things to become a worthy teacher, so much of it I owe to him and all our little conversations and I trusted him implicitly and I used to regularly go and ask him if I had handled something and wasn't handy, happy about it. George, this is what I did. I'd appreciate you telling me how I should have handled it or did I handle it correctly. Yeah. Um, and he was a wonderful English teacher because when I moved to the senior school, uh, even though I taught uh, geography and history, you always knew if they'd been through George McKay's English class yep. because their English training was superb. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Was that what, uh, in terms of understanding of grammar or yes. structure? Oh, so structure and um, fluency in writing. Yeah, uh, reading, and I, I'd even extend that to kids who had difficulty. Yeah, he right. was just able to get the best out of so many kids. Wow! And, yeah. and because he cared, he was mm. personal. I used to see him in the staff room, and he'd be sitting there with a boy beside him, and he'd be just talking quietly. And it could be the kid at the top end of the class, it could be the kid at the bottom end. It didn't didn't matter to George. Yeah. And woe betide any boy that tried to belittle another kid in his class. Yeah, right. It sounds as though his, the way he treated you as a teacher and and helping you with teaching, that sort of coaching method, and that you appreciated so much and responded to so well, he probably used that a lot with his students as well. And at the individual. Yeah. And I think at the moment he was a a differentiator Mm. and we have to differentiate within the class now. Yes, and um, and it's massive. It's not, but it's what you realize. I mean, it's a massive thing at the moment in teaching. Saying, mm. you know, we we must ensure that we're demonstrating that we're differentiating, 
But the good teachers from years ago, you know, and perhaps Daffa Cripps and, and Crom and uh, were, were, they were differentiating as well. Yep. Because they recognised the boy in the class, not the curriculum that had to be delivered to them. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Or not, not recognised it, but yeah. they didn't, they prioritised the boy rather than the, yeah. yeah. If I can just add one other thing to that, Adam, in regard to modern teaching, yeah. both you and James would know if you've had a student teacher at the end of four weeks, sometime after that you get a sheet of paper and one of the questions, I think it's the last question, asks you to make suggestions. I reckon for 40 years... I wrote the same suggestion. Put a student teacher in a school for an entire term, let them track an experienced teacher or a couple of experienced teachers for the entire term. You will teach them more about the teaching profession and its skills than any theory you'll learn back over on university campus. And guess what? Nothing's changed. (laughs) And I I attribute that to my own personal experience with George McKay. Absolutely. Um, And there were other teachers as well, but he... He's the one who stands out. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we've all sort of, you, you get the qualification and then you get the job and then your first year is really a, a, a baptism of fire and experience as you desperately try to claw through curriculum as you pick up the skills you need to actually manage the situation and all of the situations necessary. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I think it's a, a job that you really learn by doing and it's really hard to equip you in any sort of formal qualification sense for what you need to be able to do. Yes, that's well put, yes. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, did you did you find much overlap between your, your teaching and your coaching? Did one prepare the other? Did one inform the other? Did one take the lead? That's a very good question, and yes, the two, for me, were hugely connected. It didn't matter whether you were in a subject classroom or whether you were in what I call my other classroom, the WMO, teaching values and character linked to behaviour and response and how you deal with things, there's no difference. It's just in a classroom uh, you're dealing with written information um, on the sporting field, chasing a ball around in, in my case, but it's still either experiences is impacting on your personal character and how you deal with all the challenges that those experiences throw up. And so I didn't change certain things in my approach. Like I'd always be honest. I would always do what they had to do, uh, particularly on the sporting field, Mm. uh, because of a a saying I had become aware of uh, before I was a teacher. Uh, don't ask someone to do what you're not prepared to do yourself. Yeah. And doing everything on the sports field with the boys training, mm. um, none of them could criticise you. He tells us what to do, but he doesn't do it himself, does he? Yeah, so you but, ran laps as well. Oh, yes. And I even extended it to the cross country, the house cross country. I know several other staff have probably still do run in. Yeah. Michael Conica was one. James Seddon ran this year, I know. A few others, I'm yeah. sure. I, I personally think it's good if you're in the position where you're able to do it. Not everyone is. Uh, Thanks, Chris. That yeah. was a good... <laughs> Look, I, I did it once and have learned that while I might be able to do it that day, I then can't walk for three yes. days. So, yes. So lessons have been learned. Yes. But, but there was a, 
a lot, quite a few staff used to do the yeah. the cross country back in the day, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah, it's now. I think that was in the days where <laughs> they'd just send everybody off on cross country, and there'd be one person at the end saying, yes. "Yes, here you are over the finish line." Now we've got all the marshals all around the course to make sure that <laughs> no one goes astray. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a bit safer these yeah. days. But, yeah, we used to run. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I took it further, Adam, because it's a winter sport. Mm-hmm. I unashamedly would say to the first players, you got, collectively you've got to beat all the other boys who play team winter sport, otherwise you haven't tried hard enough. Yep. And um, I would also throw in and I expect you to beat me. And I, I did that lightheartedly but just to challenge them. Yeah. And... Um, it was actually good for team unity, mm-hmm. uh, small, subtle ways that just help them identify I'm not just me, I'm part of a team and I do things for the team. And that's really important. I haven't played AFL, so so I'm a genuine question. Like that's a that's an essential component. Uh, if, if you want to have a worthwhile experience because it would apply to hockey, to mm-hmm. soccer, Absolutely. to rugby, yeah. uh, Andrew Webber was a huge believer in that. James has been with his hockey teams. Ian Madison, yeah, it, it, it's a consistent uh, across, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that I picked that up fairly quickly about the the idea that something like the cross country, it was a, that the team could do really well. And I remember in the years when we had a very successful hockey team and so we were looking for challenges all the time and we picked up on Chris's, you know, thing about the the team should be sort of first across the line and a lot of the boys were representing the state and they were re- in really good shape and mm. they could run really well and they just, it was a great thing. It was just like, yeah, yeah it was a really good time for hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah they've had a lot of success yeah. uh, and uh, it's it's attributable to very good coaching. I, I had great people work with me. Yep. All the managers I've had who were staff members, Lloyd Bennett, uh, Cromwood, Alan Morley, uh, these are probably names that you're not familiar with. Uh, Michael Conacher, he was terrific. Just so grateful uh, for their input, much of which is administrative. But when you get very efficient administrators, that all helps strengthen the team. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What What would you say the benefits are for the boys? So there's there's obviously some some good things happening there. Is there off-field benefit to be gained from that really strong on-field presence? There definitely were, and uh, I've got them listed just here in front of me. One of the crucial benefits were the leadership roles and to ensure that I never had a captain who was chosen for popularity, which meant he could chase a football around and be a good player in a game but don't expect anything else from him. Mm-hmm. I expected a lot more than just chasing a football round. I wanted someone who, off the field, was responsible, was a good role model and was compassionate and empathetic towards those who struggled to make the squad or were a seconds player but needed to feel as though they were valued. And so each year they were given a pro forma at a special meeting and um, who they wanted as captain They'd write the name and then they had to write reasons why he should be captain of the first 18. Mm -hmm. And then they had to put down vice captain and why he should be vice captain and why he's not your choice for captain. Oh, wow. Um, That's a good question, Chris. Mm. And 
it always came out very clearly and the boys really thought about what they wrote and that was the point of making them write it so it wasn't just an emotional response. Oh, most of the hands have gone up, therefore I've got to put my hand up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secret ballot meant you took that out of it. One year, uh, the choice of captain came out exactly the same. So according to the pro forma, the team has chosen two, so therefore they're co-captain. Oh, wow. And That uh, seems fair. It was a state premiership team. The boys got it right. Sometimes there was a third player, uh, but he was part of three and then a huge gap to everyone else and he would be appointed deputy vice and each season that that occurred, I always needed him to be vice-captain at some point and it made him feel more valued. Absolutely. Um, So that was one uh, one thing. In addition, the captain and vice-captain, every week we played, they had to work out after the game who would be rostered and check they cleaned the change room so that we didn't leave mud and orange peel and bandages all lying around. We would leave it clean except for the mud or what have you, but it wasn't going to be a case that a cleaner would come in and have a big job cleaning it up. Yeah. I I trained them. That was part of our responsibility because we made the mess in the first place. They were encouraged to go and assist in junior training. They only had to go once a week, a couple of times a term and share it round. And a lot of boys when they were in grade 12 did that and they would come back and say, gee, I'm glad you asked me to do that. I found that really worthwhile. Yeah. And the final thing on that, I had some boys who just didn't have hand-eye coordination for the sport, but they wanted to be connected. And so there was an opportunity they could be statisticians, water boys, or a goal umpire, or a boundary umpire. And it's one of the things that I have felt really fulfilled that there were always boys that A, wanted to do it Mm. and did it and did it exceptionally well. And the team was uh, trained that uh, don't you mock any of these boys. They're just as much members of our team. Some of them came away on our pre-season interstate trips and Mm -hmm. that was deliberate because we needed them and we wanted them to feel a part of it. And for those boys, by the end of the season, we always had a trophy night. One or two of them would be acknowledged as well, just as the players were for outstanding service. That was their co-curricular contribution and they felt good about themselves because they had an importance that was valued and recognised. Yeah, um, that's a really powerful message, I think. That was good. And they are pretty much benefits that readily come to mind. So do you see former players around the traps a lot? Are you in touch with anyone, someone? Yes, um, I do. And I, it's, it's infrequent, but sometimes it becomes infrequent, but regular for a period of time. I have now, over a long period of time, just appreciated that in the couple of years they played in the firsts, and I probably taught them as well, but that that wasn't essential. You always felt the sense of connection and you'd see them in the street and they'd want to have a chat to you and you'd walk away feeling they still value the connection like you do, Chris. And um, you still have 
great mutual respect, two-way respect. And I, I've, once I realised it, I've seen that, look, Chris, aren't you lucky? That's a gift. That's a life gift. But and, and, yeah. Chris, you're a keen gardener. I, I know. I, I, <laughs> going to visit my parents, I've seen you, see you gardening and you're a nurturer and you make things grow and you take great care with them. And it's not just, I don't think, Adam, I think that one of the things that Chris does that I admire so much and I could do, there's nothing to stop me from doing, but I don't do it, (laughs) is that he takes such an interest in the students and particularly the footballers, but his ex-students in what they've done after they've left school. And you nurture this, Chris, because you're forever contacting boys, uh, writing, you're a great letter writer or card writer and uh, you've done that and you do it to staff as well and you did it while you were here at school. I used to highly value the cards you write me about something notable that happened and um, the care that's shown by someone who writes a letter or a card and congratulates someone on their achievement or perhaps when they've had a knock and you write to them, uh, you know, that people are thinking of you at that time. That's what I, I, I hear the stories all the time, Adam, when I meet people talking and they talk, well, this is why Chris stands out so much mm. because they've received, can you imagine a student 15 years later when he's got, won a premiership in South Australia in, the, in, in, the, in, in a league and Chris has read about it so he writes him a, a letter or a card because he coached him. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, it's just a wonderful thing you do, Chris. You do it through rain, hail and shine. <laughs> it's like it's like a good gardener. And so it's not just that random meeting in the street. The, those, those people, those, you know, that you've dealt with in all those different areas know that you really do uh, care for them and have a great interest in them and you, sh- and you display it with that, making that contact. Yeah, it's mutual. They've given a lot to me in their life and... Uh, it's something I really value. A lot of people find it easier these days, I imagine, to contact people because they can make a comment on Facebook or mm. and uh, and so on. But um, the power of receiving a letter or a card from Chris is, uh, yeah, I don't think Zuckerberg's quite managed that. Not, not that, quite, no. no. Look, my, my Chris Ray story is that I often park uh, in the street where, <laughs> where his house is and on occasion I'm lucky enough to see Chris outside as I'm walking to or from work and he sees me and his face lights up. And, Chris, not to disagree with what you said earlier, but I'm not sure that I I did do much for you and I'm not sure uh, we worked together for a couple of years but uh, was sad to miss most of your career as you retired as I was sort of getting started. But even so, your you face lights up, you see me, g'day, yes, Adam, absolutely. from across the side of the street. And I think that's part of how we managed to get here. I think I, I crossed the road and we said g'day and teed, all of this up. So, but just just your your warmth and genuine interest and honesty in your relationships with, from what I can tell, based on with me, everyone, yeah. uh, it's uh, it's a rare thing that perhaps doesn't seem rare to you because you're in the middle of it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that, well said. that's very kind, Adam. Uh, one thing I'd just like to put in there: you both mention about me at home and in the garden. I hope you both realise that I'm being scrutinised heavily <laughs> by the general manager yep. who is also my PT, personal trainer, and that's Lulu the cat. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. She's vital. <laughs> Kept in line or else. 
Thanks for listening to Two Tassie Teachers Talking. Our interview with Chris Ray will conclude in part three, where we talk to Chris about his leadership at Hutchins. Listeners, if you'd like to get involved, have any questions, or there's something you'd like us to talk about, you can email us using podcast at hutchins.tas.edu.au. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you again next time.